Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeks. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeks, and we have another great episode for you today. It is fall food plot season. I hope you all are doing well in getting your plots in the ground, prepared, uh, getting ready to plant, maybe fertilizing. I know I'll be doing that this weekend uh, with my brassicas and whatnot, and then again with my cereal grains uh, in September. So I hope everybody has uh, no equipment failures while you're out there this weekend and, uh, you know, hang in there and get yourself planted. Looks like there could be some rain in the future for us here. Um, I want to thank you listeners for coming back once again. Our episode today is with Chad Thalen of Stony Creek Realty. We go through and ask Chad what we should look for when buying a recreational or hunting property. Now, I know a lot of you already have property. Some of you are like me and want to buy bigger stuff someday. Um, or maybe some of you don't even have property yet and you, you might be thinking about buying some. You know, well, this is a great podcast for you. We get into what types of things to look for. We get into certain types of financing, um, location, different states. We talk about Indiana, Ohio a bunch. Just really a great episode on all things shopping for recreational property and even selling your recreational property in hopes to buy something bigger or maybe you're just getting out of the game. Uh, Chad's very knowledgeable in the subject. He's been doing it a long time along with Habitat Management, so I was pretty happy to have him on and chat, kind of a BS session with him and Brian on, uh, on all things, like I said, looking for recreational or selling recreational property. I want to thank the Habitat Hook from Nations Creations for their support in the podcast. I've been using it to create some barriers around my tree stands recently where I don't want deer circling downwind. So what I'll do is I'll drop a couple trees to hide my entry into my stand. With the Habitat Hook, I can fell them in the correct direction or hinge cut them in the correct direction and get them to be a barrier behind my tree stand and off to the one side of my tree stand where I do not want the deer to come from. Now, the Habitat Hook, uh, I use the aluminum extendable version. That's my favorite. It's super light. It extends out very far, and those can be found at thehabitathook.com or nationscreations.net. 
Go ahead and give them a like on Facebook. Tell them the Habitat Podcast sent you, and Nick will get you hooked up. I also want to thank Sound Barrier Hunting for their support in this podcast. Before we get into the show, we will revert to Adam Lewis from Sound Barrier Hunting. He was on a couple episodes ago, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his products before we get into it with Chad. Now, if you haven't been to our website lately at HabitatPodcast.com, we got some new blogs up there on the anatomy of a white-tailed deer, where to aim, uh, where we're looking to aim this fall with your arrows. Also, just uh, a little bit of myth about where that shoulder is. That's a cool blog post that our friend Al did. Uh, we also have uh, hats and shirts and decals up there, guys. Feel free to check those out along with all of our episodes over at HabitatPodcast.com. We also have our land plan services. Right now we're working on one in Iowa and also one in northern Michigan. So if you have any interest in uh, our advice on your property, check out HabitatPodcast.com slash land plans. Probably going to be wrapping those up for this year here pretty soon and then starting back up uh, at the beginning of year or the end of deer season. So thank you all very much for joining once again. Here's Adam Lewis from Sound Barrier, and then we're going to roll straight into Chad Thalen on everything to look for in a recreational property. Hi, guys. Adam Lewis with Sound Barrier here. Did you know that noises you make while hunting, like accidental clanging metal of your stand, climbing sticks, release, buckles, or camera arm, can travel over half a mile into deer habitat? Studies show that whitetail do not tolerate these intrusive noises and just one errant noise can ruin a hunting area. Since deer do not tolerate these unavoidable clings and clangs that we make with our gear, we developed a solution with the most soundproofing wraps available on the market. Using buck bumper on stands, sticks, camera arms, buckles, and pretty much all gear will eliminate these hunt-busting mistakes, increase encounters, and ultimately increase success. It's durable, Easy to apply, weatherproof, and made in the USA. Check out our packages at soundbarrierhunting.com and use promo code HP to get 10% off and free shipping for your order today. All right, everybody, we're back. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Hallbly on the line. What's going on, Brian? Doing well, getting uh, real close to archery season's opening up here in about six weeks, so oh, man. getting pumped and staying busy. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I just got back off a little camping trip, so I uh, just realized after talking to you and Al today how much stuff I have to do between now and October 1st. So. <laughs> and it, we also have uh, our special guest tonight, Chad Thalen from Stony Creek Realty on the line. How you doing, Chad? Hey, doing great. How are you guys? Good. Good. Doing great. Thanks for having me on, boys. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate you. you coming on. Yeah, thank you both for coming on. I know uh, you guys have heard Chad's voice before if you're a long-time listener. He was on episode 33. We talked about a lot of um, government programs and state-funded and federally-funded things you can do to help increase your habitat and even get paid for it. Uh, so whoever hasn't listened to that, go back to episode 33. That's just a, a wealth of of uh, knowledge inside that podcast. So, Chad, welcome back. Uh, glad to have you. If anybody also has seen our trivia nights, they're probably familiar with your mug, huh? Yeah, unfortunately for them, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
So what have you guys been up to? Brian, I mean, you were just talking about getting down to your lease this weekend. And, Chad, you said you have a, a lease down there in Ohio as well, huh? Yeah, getting pretty excited about it. Going to head down there um, next weekend, about 10 days or so, and uh, hang some cameras. Uh, not real good cell service down there where we're at in um, the unnamed area. But uh, <laughs> we I've got to hang them. I like the cell cams, so uh, we gotta. I gotta hang them where, you know, we got service up on top. There's, you know, pretty good elevation change on this property. So where I'd want the camera, you know, is not uh, the best spot to get pictures, but it's, uh, you know, we'll hang them anyway, and I'll hang a couple of non-cells probably, um, but I won't even get to those, you know, till probably November. So I'll just hang them and let them soak and. But yeah, the mornings have been getting a little cooler here in southern Michigan, and uh, it's kind of flipped that switch, you know. Definitely. I know uh, we were just up in the UP, and the mornings up there and the evenings up there were super cool. And I tell you what, it's 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 right around the corner. I even saw a couple of trees starting to turn uh, right by my house here tonight. So mm. quick, quick little cold cold patch has a couple of trees maybe thinking it's starting to get fall i don't know if that's true or not but good to uh good to have you both on brian you said you got a big weekend plan at your lease this coming weekend right yeah as i've mentioned before the 311 that i'm on is part of a uh, piece that totals about 1500 acres about five different leases so I know, starting to get to know just about everybody on them. I've known probably half the guys have been friends of mine from hunting around Pennsylvania. But we try to get as many guys as we can down there, you know, a couple times a year just to make light work of everything. So uh, Nick was kind enough to hook us up with some great food plot seed for the fall, and we're going to get that in, get a couple blinds erected, and then uh, finish up some camera work, and we should be able to stay out of there. Till uh, we get a cold front in October. Heck yeah, that's that's awesome. How many guys are on that total fifteen hundred? Would you say? There's like uh, four guys per lease of right around twenty. Okay, got some room to spread out though. If you think about it. Oh yeah, it. yeah, and uh, about half of them are from about six hours away, so uh, it takes a lot of the pressure off there. When they're coming down, they're only there you know, a couple times during the year. So it makes it nice to spread out, like you said. And, Chad, what are you on down there? Are you on one with Zach or? Uh, no, Zach and a uh, friend of his um, helped me track this place down. Um, such a cool cool story, you know, just friend of a friend of a friend said, you know, as we drove by some some parcels. He says, you know what? You should go knock on this guy's door over here. He goes, you know, I don't have time to stop with you today, but you got to swing by there in the morning. And I spent a couple days down there in a roadside motel. And um, so sure enough, I, you know, went in there and uh, knocked on a door probably 8.30, like a Wednesday or a Thursday morning, you know, didn't really expect to get anybody to answer the door. But, um, the missus answered the door, and within 10 seconds, I was inside the door, probably having a cup of coffee poured for me. Um, it was just crazy how she welcomed me in, and 
my husband's in the shower here, sit at the table and, and wait for him. And, you know, you feel pretty uncomfortable, but, um, you know, after five minutes, he, you know, he's out of the shower, comes out, out you know, and we start talking and, and he obviously, right, didn't know these people from anywhere, had really no connection to them because they didn't know the person that told me to knock on their door and, uh, what happens is six months later, you know, I shot the nicest buck I've ever shot, and so has my uh, nine-year-old son, you know. So if wow. you don't put yourself out there and knock on doors, you'll never you'll never know what you missed out on. And so, uh, you know, this guy ended up giving me permission and beautiful parcel, and it's for sale, and uh, who knows <laughs> what that I'll have to I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> nice. Um, Very nice. Yes, beautiful place in the eastern half of Ohio, we'll say. Not not a not a county that's even in the top fifteen for trophy bucks in Ohio. But yet I had the greatest experiences with mature bucks that I've ever had in a week's time that I've never had in thirty plus years of hunting in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's funny you bring that up. We wanted to get you on tonight and talk about what happens if you can't find a spot to hunt, you know, in Michigan, banging on doors. You know, you end up doing what I did, end up buying a small little chunker or whatnot. We want to talk about what to look for and, and all that good stuff we'll get into. But, I mean, if you've ever knocked on doors up here, um, it's probably, I mean, you could easily say, one out of 20 might say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've knocked on a lot of doors and I've gotten some permission. I think it has to do with just being polite and and getting lucky. I mean, honestly, just catching people at the right time. And But if you can't find one, you end up having to buy property. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how maybe you got into hooking people up with their recreational lands here in Michigan and now you're moving into Ohio and Indiana or Illinois? Um, Indiana um, will be licensed or uh, available to be licensed in Illinois. Um, But I don't, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to, I guess I'll leave that open as an option. But for now, we're just, uh, we're going to kind of focus on, I think, just Indiana and Ohio. But, you know, it's just a case of supply and demand and, the demand is, you know, if, if guys reach out to me and want me to represent them, you want know, a transaction uh, in Illinois, I'm sure is heck not going to say no, you know, so we'll leave that open. But, uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to, you know, working every day towards that goal of making that a reality with Stony Creek and uh, just being able to, to, to show guys, and I hate to say this because Michigan is such a aesthetically beautiful state, right? All our lakes and rivers and rolling topography and all that stuff. But, man, everywhere you go, you run into other hunters. You're constantly banging in to other hunters unless you're going to go bury yourself in a swamp in northern Michigan or the UP. 
but there's so much less hunting pressure in these other states. To me, it's a really enjoyable experience um, to get out of Michigan and go check things out. But uh, so that's kind of why we're, you know, we're going to expand uh, a little bit and kind of go from there. So. Uh, okay, I guess before we dive into it too deep, why don't you tell us about, you know, who you are, what you do, um, kind of how long you've been working on Habitat. You know, you're quite the Habitat manager as well. So let's hear a little bit about you before we jump into maybe um, what to look for in a recreational property. Yeah, so, you know, I started uh, my real estate business kind of out of necessity uh, back in about 2008. Um, I started my Habitat business as we have talked about before, um, in the early 2000s. And um, when the economy started going down in 2006, seven, um, I had a lot of clients uh, that I was working on habitat and food plots for in northern Michigan that um, were, were feeling the uh, effects of, of the downturn in the economy, you know, there were a lot of tool and die and construction people from the Detroit, metro Detroit areas owned, you know, fairly large parcels up in northern Michigan as their little playground. And, uh, you know, they started asking me to, you know, if I could find anybody to maybe buy a 40 off their 200 or buy 20 of their, you know, 180 to just kind of help offset the cost. And I just kept referring you know, these people on to other agents that I knew, and then I just finally smartened up a little bit and, and, and got my license on uh, my own and, um, you know, started selling recreational properties, and that's kind of uh, just kind of kept steamrolling, you know, and so um, it's a great combination, and so I get the, the habitat background uh, and then get to look at these parcels you know, from a different viewpoint of, of maybe a, a, a man or a woman, a real estate agent, you know, maybe wearing a suit and tie or a, a sundress with, you know, not appropriate clothing for walking a swamp in uh, Michigan or, you know, corn and soybean and briar uh, patches in, in southern Michigan. Um, so my perspective is, you know, pretty unique. It was back then. You know, and it still is now, but there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, brokerages now in, in Michigan and all over the United States, you know, that specialize in hunting land, uh, you know, and you've had some of those guys on, and we've all seen their social media stuff, the mossy oaks and the whitetail properties, and, uh, you know, the real, real tree now has got their, um, their hand in the game, uh, some, and, uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of guys that are out there now specializing that weren't out there 10 or 12 years ago when I started. And, you know, it's good for um, – good for, competition's great, right? It keeps everybody honest and, uh, you know, and you're just able to bounce different things off of, of different people. And uh, But, uh, yeah, so having my, my habitat background is, uh, gives me a unique perspective, I'd say, and um, my knowledge of the government programs, you know, it can help you get – uh, monetary assistance to help with uh, offsetting some costs of uh, making your property, you know, better for wildlife, uh, all kinds of wildlife um, is a great asset. So uh, I use that all the time, and, and my clients, you know, use 
those services from me all the time as well. So yeah, that's a that's a nice feather to also have in your cap. You know, be able to help somebody either with the project, with the with the transaction, or even with the monetary assistance. I like the way you put that. And uh, all right, so if anybody wanted to really get started or was looking for a property to buy or really wanted to sell theirs and upgrade, which you know us guys with smaller farms probably think about often. Um, where do we start, or where do you start? Well, I think you know, the first thing you got to do is you know be a realistic with yourself and your significant other if there is one. You know, you um, you got to keep things happy and on the home front. Um, you really got to just figure out what your budget can be, and and and, and honestly be realistic with yourself i i get so many phone calls on you know i'll list a maybe a hundred and eighty thousand dollar property and and i'll immediately get several phone calls you know asking all about it guys all excited you know uh man this will be great it's such a cool property i've i've driven by it a million times or i used to hunt it and I tell them, have you been, are you pre-approved or, you know, do you know your own budget? And, well, no. And I'll give them some things to think about and and go over. And, you know, if they're not paying cash and they're going to have to finance it, you know, call Greenstone Farm Credit or call your credit union and see if they'll work with you, you know, and then let me know what they've said or, or how things look for you. And I'll, a lot of them I'll never hear from again because they got so excited about it. It was like, you know, they really wanted that property, and then they went, oh, crap. You know, it's kind of like a Corvette or, you know, some $100,000 vehicle we'd all love to have, and it all looks great. You get excited about it, and then you go, oh, yeah, well, I can only afford a, you know, an Impala. <laughs> so um, you really, you've got to know, and I don't mind talking to the guys you know about this stuff even if if they never become a customer that's i'm good with that you know we got to chat and you got to hear somebody that was excited about something and that you know that gets you a little bit fired up and um but you really got to know ahead of time if you're seriously in the market for property you need to have yourself budgeted and you really should have yourself pre-approved you know a lot of pre-approvals are only good for you know, a couple months. Um, so you may have to, if you're really in the market for property, you may have to go through a pre-approval every, you know, few months. But if you don't, and a hot property comes up for sale, and there's multiple people looking at it and wanting to put in offers, that seller is going to accept an offer from a buyer who's been pre-approved versus the other two out of the four offers that they did get, you know, that weren't pre-approved because it's just going to take more time for them to get pre-approved and it just stalls the whole process. So I'd say, you know, you got to know your finances. you got to be realistic. Um, and, you know, that's that's the first step. Have Have that ready because then you can take, 
it takes some other things out of the equation when you're really ready to walk that property. You know, you can say, okay, I already know I can afford it. I already know I can get the financing in a couple days. Now let's go look at is this the actual property I really want to get into? Or was it just the thought of owning property that got you excited? So, you know, there's a couple ways to go through that, but that's a long long answer to your question, but <laughs> I think I do that quite often. <laughs> I think that's a good a very good spot to start though. I mean it's like being pre approved for your first home. I know we were pre approved for a bunch more than what I could probably actually afford at that time and it's just like you want the biggest and, and the best, but then you look at the payment and you're like, dang it, that's crazy. Uh, but like so like the with the property thing you know, making something affordable is is huge, and I know that Greenstone is a, is a great place. I hear that a lot here in Michigan. Uh, I think they're like a what a twenty percent down deposit usually on on recreational property. Um, I ended up finding through a credit union where if it was under twenty acres, you only had to put ten percent down. That kind of helped me when I was trying to accept the fifteen acres in my head and not go for like a a 30 or a 40. Um, so, there's, yeah, there's a couple of different places to, to check that I found. Brian, did you use up any any uh, financing with your first property, or, or are you just straight balling and paying cash? <laughs> well, if you remember the story about the magazine that I started and ended up selling right before that first piece of property, so I was fortunate to have some cash on hand. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, so say we were pre-approved. Um, I even saw a guy on, on Craigslist one time was selling a property, not through a realtor, and he said, don't even email me if you're not pre-approved because I won't talk to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wow, all right, well, you have a lot of tire kickers on, on Craigslist, though. For sure. Yeah, yeah so that's, you know, the, the busier that a – an agent or a broker is, the less he really wants to hear from tire kickers. He wants to hear, um, you know, from people that are ready, willing, and able to buy. Um, you know, if they're super busy and they're cranking out tons of of uh, real estate listings and, and contracts and stuff like that. And I mean, I'm not super, super busy in real estate because I – you know, I, it's a supplemental business well, with my habitat business and, and vice versa. So I don't get extremely overwhelmed with habitat business because I have a supplemental real estate business. So it's, it kind of takes the pressure off things. And so, like I said before, I don't mind, you know, talking to people who are tire kickers because you never know in five years down the road that guy says, you know, you know, I you, you talked to me about this property. You probably don't remember, you know, four years ago, but you gave me some good advice, and, and I saved up, and I got my credit, you know, a little higher, so my interest rates were lower, and, and you know, and, and I didn't forget that. And so, you know, I'm, I, I'm calling you now because I am ready, and I am willing, and I am able and stuff. And so, you know, those are the relationships that you, you build and um, – you know, you just, I try it, like I said, I, I just, I, I, I talk to everybody I can and 
So the tire kickers, yeah. Um, the pre-approval thing gets more important as the dollar value of the sale goes up or the listing goes up. You know, and that's residential and vacant and all that stuff, commercial, all that. You know, some I've had sellers, you know, tell me, don't you even call me with anything unless they're pre-approved and, you know, you've looked at their financials and, and that they didn't even want to hear from me um, until those conditions were met. And I appreciate that. You know, there's there's people out there that are extremely busy in business and wealthy and, you know, they've got lots of irons in the fire and they have hired me for a specific duty and that was to sell their property. And so don't contact me unless, you know, so that Craigslist guy, yes, I see that all the time, you know, just don't get the hold of me because it's, it can be daunting sometimes fielding tons and tons of calls. Um, but hey, it is what it is. I consider it part of the business. So, but your Craigslist guy was probably a uh, for sale by owner. I'm kind of I'm guessing. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah, and that's when those guys can be. Uh, but maybe you shouldn't have tried selling your property on Craigslist then, if you're you know if you're worried about getting bombarded, hired an agent. <laughs> right. I mean, it's 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 you know plenty of studies have shown that. Uh, Agents are worth their weight, right? And, and sure. So, uh, especially guys that specialize in things. You know, I'm not ever going to <clears throat> claim and try to present myself to sell and market properly um, your three and a half million dollar estate in Birmingham, Michigan. Right? That's not me. I will. I'll take the listing if you say no, Chad. I want you to, I want you to sell it for me. Well, sure, then we'll work through that. But I'm not going to be that guy to pretend that I'm going to do that. I will tell you that I will be the guy to sell, you know, your hunting or recreational property because I can um, intelligently speak about it. You know, I know about the soils. I know about the trees. I know about the flora and fauna, you know, all that stuff. So especially realtors or in anybody in any specialty business is, you know, uh, it's a fun place to be because it's you can really get to know your little niche. And um, to me, that's just a lot of fun. Now, Chad, let's say somebody gets pre-approved and they're ready to pull the trigger. Walk us through some things that the property must have, in your opinion, to be what we're looking for and managing for deer and other wildlife. Um, food, water, cover. And it doesn't always, it doesn't have to be necessarily on that property, but it's got to be near, should be nearby. Um, and, you know, like we talked before we started recording a little bit, you know, the the location, so location, 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 right? That's probably the most uh, popular phrase in real estate. But the location is all relative to what you're used to hunting 
Um, so, but again, going if so, if you're used to hunting the rolling hills and steep hills of southern Ohio, southern Pennsylvania, uh, the river bottom type stuff, you know, you're used to deer traveling a ways, right, for food, water, and cover. I mean, they're moving a lot further to obtain those three items in those environments than they are in, say, fragmented agricultural areas or even um, fairly populated agricultural zones of suburbs and stuff like that, right? You could have you could have food, water, and cover on 10 acres. But in, a, in an ag environment that's, uh, you know, fragmented with woodlots and swamps and stuff like that, lot that we have here in southern Michigan. But the food, water, and cover in southern Ohio, you may have to go on a thousand, you know, a thousand acre piece um, it may take to, to get that. Am I, does that make sense or is that, do you, yeah, for sure. You've seen that situation where, I mean, I've leased some, I've leased ground in uh, southeast Ohio where, you know, there wasn't an ag field for several miles, but it was full of, you know, other food sources, your browse and your, um, you know, your oaks, your acorns and stuff like that. Right. Um, so it's what it's relative to what you're used to hunting. Um, but, yes, you, so food water cover, I'd say, is number one. Um, in the proximity to that parcel you're looking at. So if it's five acres, you know, you're going to want to look at the neighbors and say, see, what do they have? Um, if it's a thousand acres that you're looking at buying, well, then there's probably pretty good odds that you've got all those items um, on that property. Um, so that's for sure, right? Because if there's no food, if you go into northern Michigan or northern Minnesota, upper peninsula of Michigan, you know, there's your deer numbers can get very, very low per square mile in those areas just because there's no food. And uh, I'd say that the food trumps everything, right? I mean, you can have all the great cover you want, uh, but if, if that cover is not also food, those deer probably are not going to be there. So look for food, and then they got to have cover, and then the water, you know, is, is down the line. Have, now, you guys have both bought property. Um and are always looking at parcels, am I way off base from coming from that angle? Because that's just what I, I mean, that's, I own land and I've inherited some land uh, from family farm, um, but I've never specifically went out and purchased uh, the land that I own now is on my home. I have never gone out and sought out a parcel of land to purchase for strictly hunting and recreation. Um, so I am missing a little bit of that, but I have enough experience, obviously, um, to know that the food cover water is important. What you, Do you guys have a different number one? No, I think you're right on the money there. Um, and I, I like how you talked about uh, setting 
you know, realistic expectations too. You know, there there is a lot that you can do to improve habitat and and maybe have some bigger deer come uh, stay at your place. But obviously, you're not going to get Iowa-sized deer in northern Michigan or northern Minnesota, like you said. So, no, I I think you're right on the money. Uh, that's that's definitely important. And uh, yeah, I mean, without the without the food water cover, you know. You, who knows where you could even go from there without it? Yeah, and I suppose, not suppose, I mean, you can. You can take a blank, blank canvas and build it from scratch, right? And you build it, they will come. One of my favorite movies. Because um, that, that phrase, you, you know, you build it, they will come, applies to so many things in life. But, it, you know, it's... I've known several guys that have taken a 40-acre parcel completely tillable, 100% tillable from front to back, left to right, and they did nothing but plant trees, plant shrubs, install a water source, um, whether it be a degraded wetland um, or a, a... a drainage ditch that was uh, built uh, so that the area could be farmed. And if it's a private drain, uh, you can plug that drain. If it's a county drain, you can't. Uh, if it's a private drain, you know, you can plug that and uh, change the hydrology um, on that property and just build it from scratch. The problem with that is, if you're going to buy a 40-acre piece of flat, tillable land, you're going to pay a premium for it, uh, for right. that land on a per-acre basis, right? And so um, it just depends, you know, your income status, right, is is, is everything. Yeah, and, uh, how much time you have, too. Yeah, money and time. Um, and that's where there are guys like, me and you and um, you know there's there's people out there that have money but not time so they hire you know wildlife contractors like myself to do things on their property to sure to get what they're looking for but um, you know it doesn't the property doesn't have to be exactly what you're looking for you just have to you have to have the the vision to tell well. If the broker doesn't, or the agent, you know, doesn't have a background in wildlife habitat or deer hunting and stuff like that, he's not going to understand your vision and maybe not be able to carry it out. But how how we plan things is that I can pull out of buyers what it is that they want. And I've sold people land that they would have – you know, they've told me I would have never considered this property if you didn't tell me X, Y, and Z and how we could get to Z and make this something that I could really enjoy. They just didn't see it. And uh, so, Chad, give, give us an example of what X, Y, and Z could be for for just an average person. I mean, before we get to X, Y, Z, I think that it kind of relates to what you said about being being realistic. I mean, if you're 
living up in Gaylord, Michigan, and hunting public ground every year, and you go buy a 80-acre piece in Hillsdale County, I mean, you're going to have different expectations than if you went the opposite direction to the UP and bought an 80-acre piece, right? So, yeah. like, like, how would you, what would you suggest that XYZ is, or does it all depend on after talking to that person? Yeah, it, it does. It's It changes all the time with buyers and um, from even from one year to the next. Um, I've had buyers' um, financial status change from month to month to where we went from looking for, you know, a $100,000 property to, oh, now, hey, we can look at a half-million-dollar property <laughs> and, and, and totally the opposite. But I don't know. So there's there's so many examples um, or different scenarios on that one. But again, it's just it's your agent doesn't have to be me. Obviously, it could be anybody from you know the the multiple um, recreational uh, brokers in Michigan. But they should listen to what you want. So the the less you talk and the more you listen is a great way to go about uh, real estate and let those people tell you, let them tell you about their dreams and their desires, right? Sounds kind of corny, but let them tell you what their dreams and desires are. And then I also, you know, I, I listen and like to know about how a person likes to hunt. You know, are they an, an archery and mainly October guy. Are they a strictly uh, rut hunter only? And, you know, this is all I want is a parcel that's going to be hot for from November, uh, you know, Halloween to um, the opener of Firearm in Michigan, November 15th. It just, so I hate to be vague, but every single person is going to be a little bit different and what their um, desires are, uh, but that's that's my job is to pull things out of them by listening first and then trying to um, add some things on to what they're really looking for and say, okay, now we can weed out this, this, and this property because we're never going to get to your goals with this parcel. You know, and it's it could be, you know, I have to know that there's at least one 150-inch deer in this section. It doesn't have to be on the 50 acres that I'm going to buy, but I have to know that they're in the area. And I'm going to hopefully steer them to, okay, this is not the area of Michigan that you're going to want to, you know, be looking at. <laughs> um, now, how do you determine that, Chad? Do you look up uh... – record book entries or talking to the locals or have you got enough time invested in these areas that you kind of have a feel for it? Um, yeah, strong. So I've been a volunteer with the Quality Deer Management Association since 2005, um, and I've been helping build uh, QDM co-ops since, oh, you know, roughly about that time or, or just after. And uh, so I've gotten to know uh, co-op leaders, uh, QDMA branch leaders uh, with, you know, within the whole state of Michigan. So I've got a pretty good feel on 
you know, in our, you know, we're lucky here in Michigan, we have a, uh, a wildlife co-op coordinator. Well, that, that position, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 stuff, is just eliminated. But we have a, we have a QDM co-op website where you can get on and look at maps of where these co-ops are. And, uh, you know, we use that. Um, and I've got relationships with lots of branch leaders and co-op leaders to be able to say, yeah, you know, this is this is a great area or, you know, this, I've known this area to be an extremely um, hot zone for uh, poaching. <laughs> um, so I, I, there's, there's no doubt knowledge of the local environment um, trumps a lot of things when you're uh, able to, you know, trying to speak intelligently about a, a piece of land or an area. So, it, it, yeah, I mean, just reaching out and then the, just knowing a lot of it, I'll tell you, is, you know, the soils, so the, the animals and the wildlife getting nutrients and getting age, right? Right. Age is huge. I, I've got a good friend that always busts my chops because, you know, we always joke about, well, all they need is good soil and you'll have big bucks. And he's telling me, you know, bullshit, all they need is age, you know. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, we kid back and forth because we know they're both true. But, um, you know, age, age, there's no doubt if we're, if we're strictly discussing whitetails, age is the biggest factor in having a good rack. Right, and then the the outlying flying little morsels, you know, that can make a one a five year old one sixty in Michigan, but that same five year old is one eighty in in Illinois. You know, then we can talk about soils, right, and the minerals and nutrients in those soils that can make the difference in inches. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they, I'm sure they're, I mean, they're both part of the equation, especially the age part, and I'm glad you brought up co-ops, that's, that's one thing that I had to have as one of my requirements was it had to be in or very close to a already established co-op, hopefully the longer the better, um, you know, we got guys like Corey who are starting their own and, and hats off to those guys, and you know, with the amount of resources out there, the QDMA or whatever they're called now, they're they're uh, the NDA they joined up with. They're um, I mean, we had a listener, Eric Zelinsky, actually was on a podcast with us. He reached out looking for one in New York, and we just got a hold of the QDMA and figured out there was one nearby. And I'm not sure how close it actually was, but they're all over the place. So if you can get in touch with the right people, that's a good a good spot for me to long-windedly say you can get some age on your deer if everybody's on the same program in a cooperative. Mm-hmm. Um, that and, a co- and cover or swamps, in, in my opinion. I think being next to a, a big swamp increases your chances of the deer making it to the next year. Uh, unless you have Dan Infault nearby, then I'd be worried. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
you know, those we I think we've all heard stories of you know deer bucks in uh, in particular that you know I've I've had landowners over the years tell me you know I I was in my stand on November fifteenth, which is you know firearms opener in Michigan. He goes I was overlooking a swamp swamp meaning you know this particular had four to five foot of water um i've had multiple landowners tell me that they have watched bucks come from an upland area whether it's timbered or or egg they said they come down into this swamp and either laid on a little island or a hummock and i actually had one guy tell me and i totally trust this guy he said, I watched this buck stand. He had to lift his head up in the air to keep his nose out of the water. All I saw for about five or six hours was this buck's nose, head, and rack sticking up out of the water. He spent half of a day standing in that deep of water to avoid the predators. You know, the wow. Um, I've heard that on multiple occasions. Um you know, the canoeing, the kayaking into sites, you know, that's getting popular now. But in northern Michigan, that's been popular for a long, long time of big buck killers. Um, you know, the dead stream swamp uh, in, in the Houghton Lake area, you know, there are, there's no doubt there's giant big bucks that die of old age up in, in some of those swamp lands. So, um, you know, what swamp means a uh, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So, um, you know, it can maybe only be a few inches of water in reed canary grass with some autumn olive and Russian olive and, you know, other types of trees, and they call that a swamp. Other guys call it a swamp. You know, a thousand acres with uh, just blueberry, um, you know, brush and stuff like that with uh, just little islands here and there. And that's where those deer can really hide. And I think we've seen that now with some of the guys, uh, right, the public land uh, hunters and the Dan Infaults. Uh, what's the guys, the public? Uh, Hunting public? Yeah, those. I love watching their YouTube videos. Those guys are just the best. The Walmart camouflage and uh, um, those guys are so much fun to watch. But, uh you know, they thrive on a lot of that stuff, right? Going to places that that a lot of hunters won't go to just because they're flat out lazy. And, uh, you know, you can – it's just like finding a lease like we talked about, you know, 45 minutes ago. Get your ass off the damn couch, fill the truck up with gas, and get out there and knock on some doors. You'll never know. I never expected when I drove five and a half hours from Michigan to Ohio – that in two days I would land on a parcel of my dreams. Just never expected it. And so, but I didn't, you know, you didn't know that until you got your butt out there. So um, it's kind of the same thing with real estate. You know, if you're looking to buy something, get out there and walk. I've showed guys 12, 15 different properties before they actually bought. Um, and I've shown guys 12, 15 different parcels. And they never bought anything because they said, you know what, I thought what I wanted was out here. And they realized that it wasn't. And so we're still looking for them. And, um, 
But uh, just put yourself out there, right? Start looking around. Get your finances order first because <laughs> you, can, you can't buy it if you can't buy it. So um, where do we uh, – what do you want to talk about next? Yeah, I think um, – I think you're right on a lot of points there and getting out there. I think I walked, oh, I don't know, eight or eight or ten uh, before I really started to see any sign. Like I just wasn't seeing the sign, and um, I got I got up next to a a very well, not very large, three four hundred acre swamp that mine kind of turns into and butts up to, and that was that was important to me. That was something I wanted. Now. If it's wet ground, though, that kind of drops your your value a little bit if it's unusable. But if your value is deer hunting, then it, it doesn't really matter. So I guess swamp can affect your, your property value. What about, like, timber or tillable? How many people come up to you and say, I want 50-50, and it has to be? And then what do you say to that? Um, most people that have, are have, are predetermined with that, They've done their homework, and they know that maybe having 51% per, tillable, um, you know, changes your tax classification. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it can make it an ag parcel uh, versus a recreational or residential parcel. So, um, you know, looking at those things, too, it significantly drops uh, your, your taxable value um, if you're looking at tillable land. Um, you know, but like I said before, you know, you're going to pay the premium. There's, uh, you know, Brian, I don't know how, you know, Pennsylvania has quite a different topography um, in land classifications probably and land values, kind of similar to Michigan. But, you know, we can go in less than an hour in Michigan, we can go from land values of, 2,500 an acre to 10,000 an acre in a matter of a couple counties. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere around southwest PA and even Ohio and West Virginia are like that, too. That's somewhere. Okay. So, and that's what, I'm con- once a week I get a phone call, you know, from a potential seller. Oh, you know, well, what's land going for and in uh, Ingham County or Clinton County, and I'm like, okay, what township are you in, you know? And then specifically, you know, let's narrow that down even more because that townships can can change things. And that's mostly driven on tillable land or maybe in the Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania scenario, um, gas leases, would that the gas would gas and oil leases be the significant driver in those areas? Yeah, for sure. What else would uh, what else in that area is it is is farmland? Um, is there enough farmland in that zone that that's what's the most significant driver of? Say twenty-five to ten thousand dollars. What's what's the biggest thing that changes that number? I think the proximity to the bigger cities. If you get closer to Pittsburgh, or just talking Ohio-wise, if you get closer to Cleveland, seems like um, the acreage prices go way up. 
And uh, also it depends on how much you're buying too. It seems like, you know, if you're buying a 20-acre parcel, you're not going to get the deal that you're going to get on, say, 100 or 200 or, you know, several hundred acres. Yeah. Yep, that's a fact. You know, there's definitely a premium because the, yeah, the lower the acreage, yeah, the, the per acre price may go up, but it actually is still the total value on a, a smaller acreage parcel gets put into a lot more uh, people's uh, purchase price. So, for example, you know, uh, I sold a parcel last December um, for over $7,000 an acre, but it was within 15 minutes of a, an urban area where both uh, husband and wife worked, and it was only a 16-acre parcel, right? So that's that's a parcel of land that a lot of people with um, – with reasonable means could write a check for, right? Pay charge sure. for it. Now that hundred acre piece at that price, right, is so far out of most of our um, <laughs> buying capabilities at seven hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars that it's just like you don't even right, you're not even gonna look for something of that size. So um yeah, so the yeah the the per acre price is is typically going to go up uh, in 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 lower acreages. Um, so that's a thing too, you know, to look for and shop around at is okay. Well, you know, if I move one county, can I buy fifty acres? You know, instead of thirty. Um, and so there just is a lot. There's really a lot to look at when it comes down to, you know, a lot of guys just go, oh, I just, you know, I need it to be within a half an hour of my house so I can hunt it, you know, after work and easily on the weekends and still be home to do things with family. But then when you really start nitpicking, um, you know, parcels, it, it can, can get kind of overwhelming to a buyer and they just go, wow, I guess I really, now I guess I really don't know what the heck I want because I didn't think about these things. But, um, so yeah, you know, in the, the timber aspect, that's that's what's really attractive for me, and you know, and I'm going to speak as a uh, from a buyer's perspective here at a parcel that I know somebody's looking at uh, in Eastern Ohio. That you know, this this parcel's got about a third of the value of the parcel is our, is is already is ready to be harvested. Um, so, you know, bringing in, here's an, uh, an option for somebody who that maybe can't afford that 20% down payment on, uh, you know, a hundred acre parcel. Um, if there's enough timber value on it, maybe he or she could bring in, you know, ABC logging company and let them help you, you know, put that down payment down by, you know, having them um, put up some money for the purchase uh, of that timber. And, Have you uh, seen you know, that happen before? Yes. Yep. Where if yeah. I buy a property that has enough timber value on it for a down payment, if not more, you can actually have that contract done 
with the logger before you buy the property type thing. Maybe it's all contingent on the purchase, obviously, but that's interesting there. Yeah, because you can, um, you know, there's multiple ways that you can procure your uh, your down payment. And um, if you can, you know, get a contract with a logging company, now, you know, that logging company is going to say, okay, well, this, me writing you this check is contingent upon you owning the property. And, well, right. you're like, well, I can't do this unless this happens. And so you can make things happen you know, uh, at the same time at a closing table, um, right. you know, to get to things to all fall into place. And, uh, uh, you know, there's different ways to structure loans, you know, bridge loans and stuff like that to where you can bridge or leverage some, uh, you know, money, maybe equity in your, your home mortgage and bridge that, uh, you know, into a short-term uh you know, a short-term loan so that you can purchase that property and then, you know, take the, the funds from uh, a, a timber buyer and stuff and, and um, you know, and make it all work. You just got to be creative, you know, and I think like you mentioned, you know, you had Dan Perez on and that guy's a wealth of information, and a, you know, a really good guy. Um, that's, you know, that's the part I need to get stronger at and, you know, I'll be the first one to admit I need, need to get stronger in that investment side of um, of parcels. Um, you know, I've got the basic knowledge and, and getting better with it all the time. You know, he seems like he's got it very well down pat listening to um, him on, a, you know, your podcast and some others. Um, he's a fun guy to listen to. Nice. So, yeah, go ahead, Brian. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. So, yeah, I'm just, you know, as another example, they just, you know, again, I'm knocking on doors and, and my habitat background, I, you know, there's a parcel in Hillsdale County, Michigan, that I'm just drooling over that I've done some work on. And um, the landowner is, you know, uh, never been married. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to get them to put this parcel on the market, but it's, you know, some some basic estimates is, you know, this parcel's got way into the six figures of walnut trees on it. Um, it's just an incredible parcel full of very mature black walnut, which, you know, has kept its monetary value um, throughout, you know, some of the different ups and downs of um, timber values. And uh, so I'm just drooling over this piece, hoping that, you know, at some point it can come on the market, either, you know, with me, my brokerage, or somebody else. But, uh, you know, again, that one is, you know, you can only value a property so high, and it's only going to appraise so high. And if you need to, uh, if you need a, a lender, you know, to provide financing for you, you know, they're only going to loan so much on the uh, appraised value. And, uh, you know, this you, you can only use timber, the, the true timber value, you can only use that, um, you know, to, to, to increase your overall value of the land so much. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, 
if there's, you know, $200,000 of uh, walnut on this property, you know, it, it's it's not going to make it appraise 200000 over what it normally would, if that makes makes sense. So, right. there's you know, there's opportunities on pieces of land like that where you can have a tremendous amount of equity already there, you know, as soon as you purchase it. So... That's the great and fun thing that I, you know, that I really enjoy about real estate is is finding those unique parcels, finding that landowner, finding that seller, you know, advising them on certain things that, you know, they might not have known about that, um, you know, can increase the value of their land to a degree, but then also really entice the buyer to say, look, you know, you may buy this place for five hundred thousand, but it's already got two hundred thousand dollars in marketable timber ready to go. You know, who wouldn't want to walk into a situation like that? Absolutely. So switching gears, let's say um, you know you find property that fits your budget. It pretty much has the majority of what you're looking for, but uh, there's a few things missing. What are, what are some of the things you could add? You know, maybe the top three that are easy to fix and maybe the top three that are hardest to fix. Walk us through that. Um, you know, an easy to fix uh, would be maybe creating some habitat, whether that be with hinge cutting, um, with planting, uh, trees, shrubs, uh, switchgrass, native warm season grasses. Um, that can increase uh, your habitat uh, quickly if you don't have it. Um, but, you know, let's be real, realistic. It can also, you know, take several years to do that. But um, at least you have the option to do it. Um, so, you know, the quick things, you know, I guess the habitat could be uh, quick and long term. I'm, I guess I'm just thinking here your hinge cutting. Uh, scenario, you know, can be a quick habitat and and food source quickly by dropping some trees on the ground and those, you know, buds and um, uh, little ends of the uh, branches and twigs and stuff like that can provide a quick food source. Um, water sources, you know, it doesn't take long to get a mini excavator, um, bulldozer, or even just a the front end loader or a back blade on a 30 horse tractor or a shovel for, you know, you can create a quick water source. Um, I listened to your podcast with uh, Lincoln uh, Roan just recently with Packer Max, you know, and him installing uh, his little water hole. Um, you know, and I just did that. My son and I just did that 200 yards from my you know, the back of my house uh, a little over a week ago, you know, we just installed a quick water hole. We don't have – we've got one county drain going through the far western end of our square mile, and that's pretty much the only water source here. So, you know, I've got the uh, – I've got six 275-gallon uh, totes, and um, I use for various things, but, you know, I can – you know, within a couple hours, that I can create a water source. Um, something we haven't talked about is access or lack of it. You know, we can 
uh, you can take a parcel that maybe had trespass issues and you can uh, very quickly uh, thwart a lot of that with maybe a gate out front and, uh, you know, a lot of signs, no, no trespassing signs. Um, you know, it never hurts to to have a buddy that works for the local police department or conservation officer and maybe invite him out for a few hunts. Guess what he's going to do? When he's not hunting, he's going to, if he works in that jurisdiction, he's going to cruise by that parcel every once in a while and help you keep an eye on it. Um, that's not a bad tactic. Right. I've been on both sides of that. Um, um, so let's see. The, that was the first part of your question. Is that right? You know, some quick things to Sure. To yeah. Um, and so a few uh, things that may take some more time. Um, maybe uh, let's throw something out there that probably a lot of guys haven't heard is the Wetland Reserve Enhancement Program. Um, that's if you're in a uh, if you're in a zone, uh, and you know I'm talking about zones. I'm talking about um, areas of a state or a county that have uh, uh, highly erodible lands with a lot lot of water hydrology in them that have been degraded by farming practices, so uh, trenching, tiling, uh, ditch building, etc. Um, there are programs there that you can enroll in which would, uh, so you want to enhance an old wetland. Uh, and so you can, some of those programs will pay you so the government's going to pay you up to 90% value of the property. Um, you're going to get a check for that. So let's say you bought a parcel for, uh, you know, 100 grand, and you found out that it was eligible for this program. And then it's it's a long process. It can be a year to three years to get enrolled in one of these. Um, but you can get reimbursed up to 90% of the uh, value, appraised value of that parcel is going to come back to you, but then, you know, there's a deed restriction placed on that parcel. Right. But then they're going to enhance or restore the wetlands, okay, that once we're on that property, and then there's an upland component to that wetland enhancement. So you're going to get some uh, maybe shrub, brush, or native warm season grass plantings uh, in with those uh, wetland reconstructions. So you can end up, you know, basically owning a nice chunk of land for almost zero dollars um, and then have it for your, you know, hunting paradise. Now, you know, there's a handful of restrictions on those and, and then they can be very difficult to resell because now you've got a parcel of land that has a deed restriction that's either going to sit on it for 30 years or a lifetime. Um, so, um, you know, that would be something that would take a while, but it's definitely doable, and I've dealt with a lot of them. I've, you know, I've, I've sold them, I've listed them, 
And I've also been the guy sitting on the bulldozer, the excavator, you know, or the tractor, you know, restoring the habitat on a property that had been, you know, a wetland that had been degraded. Um, so I guess that's an example of a, a really long term. Um, you guys got to be thinking of something in your head that's more another of a something that's long term um, about creating a pond that's stocked full of uh, big rainbow trout, you know, right? That could take multiple years to, to do that. Sure. Now getting back to the uh, trespassing, uh, just to follow up on that. What do you recommend or what kind of ideas do you have for, like, trying to find out how the neighbors are? Because that could be real difficult where you get, like, a perfect piece in a perfect place and then things just go south once you're in there and dealing with the wrong kind of neighbors. Yeah, and that's a lot of times that's the homework that, you know, both the agent and the prospective buyer uh, need to do and then be comfortable with. And, you know, the co-op factor, uh, like, you know, Jared had mentioned, that was, you know, that was very important to him. And it's, it, you know, it truly is. But I'll just be honest with you, when you get in a co-op, you can have some very, very possessive landowners within a co-op who could be just as much of a nightmare um, as you know, a, a neighboring landowner uh, in an area that has no co-ops and is, is known for, um, you know, poaching at night. Um, so do your homework. You know, there's only so far you can go, though, right, with the homework. At some right. point, you just got to say, you know, okay, I like this property enough. I'm going to take my chances. I'm going to go over and meet the neighbors. You know, we're going to uh, get to know each other. And, I, you know, I think that's the – I think the biggest couple things is, you know, don't walk in and, as a new landowner and start to bully your neighbors, right, and say, and I'm not shooting, you know, this uh, turkey unless it's a 12-inch beard. Um you know, don't start demanding things when you're the new guy on the block, right? You should kind of walk in with your tail between your legs, invite some neighbors over for a campfire, you know, throw some venison and, and sweet corn on the grill, have a few cocktails, you know, and just get to know them, right? You know, that's the best thing is people are going to have a hard time trespassing on your land, if they just came to your property two weeks ago and ate some of your venison and drank some of your bush light, right? That's a good point. You'd hope so anyway, but, yeah, that's <laughs> that's good advice for sure. Well, and if, if they, you know, and then if, you know, let's just cut to it. If they're the asshole, then after that, well, then they're just an asshole, period. Yeah. Right? You're probably never going to win them over, or they're just not generally a good person, overall so i guess then it's just it is what it is at that point you're just going to make the best of it but i yeah. think that's where the co-ops are you know the co-op thing with having a big buck night and having a chili cook-off and having a summer sweet corn roast and having you know different events it turns into the 
a neighborhood watch, right? Just like the subdivision in Brighton, Michigan, that's got a badass neighborhood watch with, uh, you know, Karens all over the place calling the police on everybody. Um, <laughs> no, let's who's, – who's the male equivalent of Karens? Isn't it Brad's or Chad's? I think it's Chad's. Yeah. You got me. Yeah. Yeah. Chad's and some Brian, Brian's and Chad's. You know, <laughs> it never – you know what? Just, uh, you know, knowing your neighbors is never a bad thing. And um, I think that's – it, that's some of the trouble with owning maybe a piece of land that's, you know, over a half an hour from you mm. um, or an hour is, you know, you can't, I like to sh- show up, you know, if I was a, a non-resident landowner, I'd want to show up on a Tuesday morning, you know, and hang out on the property for a half an hour, hour, you know, just as much as I would the Saturday, Sunday type of thing and, you know, just be around at strange times so people can't put a pattern on you and park your truck in different places or, you know, have a buddy drop you off and go out hunting um, and, you know, be hunting when there's no vehicle parked, you know, at the, the gate or alongside the road and then, you know, see if you got somebody sneaking on that way. But, um, you know, your your neighbors are always going to be your greatest or your worst, you know, enemy. So most of the time they're going to be great. And that's what most of these co-ops, the feedback that we get is, you know, this is the greatest thing I've ever done is become a part of this co-op. Everybody's watching out for each other. You know, they called me because they saw a spotlight shining around on my property and they want to know if it was me and, you know, and – um so, you know, we recently, let's, I'll throw this out there at you. We recently had a, a, a neighboring co-op member um, was out cutting firewood and uh, uh, he had a, a tree fall on his head. Uh, just really, uh, really put him in a bad spot. And he's, he, he's pretty much out of the woods, but he's, you know, he's, he probably doesn't sound like he's going to work again. And he probably oh, won't, ever, won't ever drive again. Um, he's just, but you know, we're all thankful because he's alive, right? So you look at the positive end of things, but from that instant, one of our co-op leaders is now going to, uh, he's going to create a, a call or a text tree so that, you know, a lot of times when you're out cutting, when you're hinge cutting, you're probably doing it with a couple buddies, right? If you're cutting firewood, uh, for your home or deer camp, a lot of times you're just doing it at opportune times and you're by yourself. Well, this guy's going to, uh, that co-op is going to have a call text group so that, you know, Jared's going to go out Sunday morning at 10 and cut firewood, you know, behind Joe Smith's house. And uh, he's only going to be there for a couple hours He's going to group text, you know, everybody that wants to be on that group text and say, hey, I'm going out to cut firewood. I'm only going to be out there for two hours. I'll text you. I'll group text everybody, you know, when I'm, you know, back to the house kind of thing. And in this instance, this gentleman laid there in the woods for quite a few minutes. 
luckily his brother um, heard the chainsaw idling. His brother was, funny enough, was putting in a food plot this spring, and, you know, a few hundred yards away was the other brother cutting wood, and he heard the chainsaw idling for about 10 minutes and said, yeah, that's just not right. So he, he drove over there and uh, found his brother laying there, you know, in a mess uh, and, and pretty much saved his life. So, um, you know, this guy's implementing that, and that all spurred from a co-op, right? A deer management co-op is now going to hopefully help, you know, a guy, you know, be safe in the woods. Um, and so that's another thing, just getting, I'm getting into a habit, you know, and you can do this with your neighbor. I'm trying to get into a habit with my wife. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to text you when I get in the tree stand. And when I get out and I'm in the truck on the way home, I'm texting you again. I'm in, I've checked in and I've checked out and, you know, you know, I'm safe. So sorry, again, another 15 minute answer to your question. No, I mean, those are, those are important points. Like, um, the chili cook-off thing, that's kind of what we do in our cooperative. We have exactly what it is, a chili cook-off, and everybody brings in some nice racks and kind of just lead by example if you're one of the leaders out there shooting the nice bucks and try to get everybody else on board. And it seems to be a, a great thing. I know my one neighbor down where my property is, he's awesome. He helps me out, whether it's dragging a deer out, if it's way back in the swamp, or whether – there's a random truck at the at the gate. He'll text me or call me. I mean, you, you can't buy that stuff if your neighbor is an a-hole. So you got to really – I like your idea of inviting them all over and, and hanging out or at least saying hi. I mean, I use that HuntWise app, and you can click on the landowner and search their phone records and then call them from the app. So you, if, you, if you don't even know the guy, never talked to him in your life, you get a wild hair after listening to this podcast. You can literally look them up, call them up, and and you know make an introduction. Uh, it's as simple as that. So I think I think that was a great great point to hit there, Chad. Nice work. Well, I think we've hit a bunch of good information on on this subject tonight. I want to wrap up the way I usually always do. If you're if you're walking through a new listing, or you know you're selling somebody's property, or maybe you're walking with a buyer, um, and you come across a specific tree. What's your favorite tree that you come across? You're like, oh man, I love that tree. Could be for hunting or uh, habitat. Could be browse. Could be cover. What tree really gets Chad Thalen excited? Lots of branches uh, with great hiding spots for me hanging in my saddle. <laughs> I just I, I love them. Big mature oak or maple. Um, that's, you know, probably a hundred plus years old. And, uh, you know, it's got, the branches are bigger than most trees that are, you know, coming up out of the ground. Um, I like a good mature oak and maple tree I climb up in there and you just kind of, just kind of fade away, um, into that bark and, and disappear, um, that's uh, I lo- and then, you know those because tr- I like to I'd love to know, um, 
everything that that tree has seen over its lifetime. Could you imagine everything that's walked past that tree? If you could see that in about a five-minute clip, video clip, could you, yeah, that'd be you know, the people, the wildlife, the different times that it's seen, and the that's uh, I, I love old, mature, just old and mature. I guess would be my favorite tree. Very nice, very nice. Well, cool. I wanted to uh, see if anybody else wanted to find out more about you, your your company, your services you offer. Where can they find you, Chad? Okay, so uh, you know Instagram uh, at Stony Creek Realty. Um, Facebook is uh, same. And then, uh, you know, our website is uh, stonycreekoutdoors.com. Uh, um, on there, all kinds of contact buttons, uh, 517-819-6344, 517-819-6344. Cell phone I've had for 20 years. Call me, text me. Um, that's probably the easiest way to be assured that I get a message and, um, you know, we'd love to help you out if you're in Michigan, uh, if you're in Indiana, Illinois, and uh, Ohio, where we're coming soon. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from you if you're in those states and you need help with habitat work or, you know, real estate advice. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to love to have a chance to work with you. Awesome. Well, Chad, I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. and. Uh, we will uh, get this launched here pretty soon, and then we got to get together on a couple of Habitat projects, creating some videos. I think that would be a, a good time as well. Yeah, I'd love to do it. All right, thanks so much, Chad, for coming on the line. Had a great talk with you there. Really glad to uh, have you on and, and learn a few more things there. I didn't know you could even use a logger to pay your down payment. That is some pretty fascinating stuff. Um yeah, I learned a few things there. So um, thanks for coming on. I thought it was a great chat. And uh, we'll obviously be hearing more from you soon on our next trivia night. So if everybody hasn't followed along with our Habitat podcast trivia, it is live on Facebook. We do it every other month. Um, it's been a fun time so far. And all of our listeners are pretty darn smart. We haven't fooled anybody yet. So maybe we have to amp up the questions, make them a little harder. Um, so check us out on Facebook. We also have the Instagram account, YouTube. But all the good stuff is on HabitatPodcast.com, all the episodes. 100, 125, maybe even 150-plus hours now of free Habitat content, guys. Check it out. Leave us a good review on iTunes. Um, I'll send you a free detail. Just get a hold of me. I'm sending out a bunch this week, so those who haven't got them yet, they're coming out. And uh, thank you for the reviews for everybody there. I want to thank our sponsors of the show. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cult of Packers, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, HuntWise, Stony Creek Realty, and Sound Barrier Hunting. Thank you all so much. Thanks for tuning in as we become better habitat managers. We'll see you all next week. we got a couple regular dudes from Ohio coming on, along with a big name you've probably heard coming on soon. So take care. Talk to you soon.
Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.